Well, this morning, uh, for those of you that are visiting the first time, welcome. Thank you. We have been saving a seat for you for a long time. Um, and in addition to that, we are going through the book of Acts verse by verse. So we are up to Acts chapter 6 this morning. And we're going to go through the whole chapter. It's only 15 verses. And uh, it's very interesting what's happening here. You know, you read the, the, the Bible and it's like, well, it's, uh, you know, you go from the day of Pentecost to uh, uh, everybody uh, coming and uh, donating uh, uh, stuff and money, and uh, then you have Ananias and Sapphira, and now you have this, and it's like, well, you know, it's like the next day, was a week ago, or how much time it went, you know, or passed between the day of Pentecost and this event that we're going to be looking at today, we don't know, it doesn't say. But we do know this, the church, it says the in those days, or these days, the, the number of disciples was increasing. So that's a good thing. The church was growing. The number of disciples was increasing, multiplying. One translation calls it, uses the word. And uh, we also know that Peter and John got arrested, along with the guy that got healed. He got arrested, too, for getting healed, which is crazy. <laughs> So we don't know how much time has gone by, but we do know this, that the church was growing. The number of disciples was increasing. How many know that whenever there's people around, there's also problems? Amen? <laughs> people equals problems. But it also equals challenges, and it also gives God an opportunity to be glorified. Amen? So, the, the people, the, the church was growing, um, and not only that, there was opposition. Peter and John were commanded, don't you ever tell anybody about Jesus anymore. Yeah, right, okay. They say, you know what, with all due respect, I would say they said, you know, you judge, they told the Sanhedrin, is it better to obey men or God? We cannot but speak about the things we have both seen and heard. Amen? If you, when God has touched your life and Jesus has changed you and transformed you, you have a testimony. You know what happened to you. Amen? You know. And, and, and God forbid that we keep that to ourselves. How many know we're not called to be hermits? Hermits don't really impact the world very much. A few of them have because they were, took time to write stuff and we have their writings, but uh, we're not called to be hermits. We're not called to be monks and nuns, you know, cloistered away somewhere away from society. We're called to be salt and light in the earth, amen? We're called to influence society. We're called to vote in this country. Just think of this. A lot of people gave their lives up so you and I could have continued right to vote in this country. There's a cemetery over in San Diego. There's a cemetery in Washington, D.C. Tombstone upon tombstone upon tombstone, multitudes of them. These are the men and women who gave their lives for our freedoms. But more than that, Jesus gave his life for our freedom. Amen? Praise God. 
So they, uh, the, the number of disciples was increasing, and a complaint. Somebody starts whining, but in a good way, you know. <laughs> a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, I did some studying, and what's interesting is what it's talking about here. The Hebrews, these are the Jewish people that were native to Jerusalem. They were already living there. The day of Pentecost, it says it was people from all around the world, the Hellenists. These were Greek-speaking Jews. They come... To, had come to Jerusalem to worship for one of the feasts, for the, the Feast of Pentecost, and God poured out the Holy Spirit, and uh, what does it say? Over 3,000 people got saved that day. Just 3,000 men, not including women and children. And so, one commentator said that most likely the Hebrews outnumbered the Hellenists. Okay? Not only that, but uh, the, they might have been a language barrier. You know, you never know. But the, a misunderstanding took place. And uh, it says and that the widows were being neglected. And the commentaries I read said this is the only place where this word neglected in the Greek is in the whole uh, New Testament. And it means, basically, according to Strong's Dictionary, to be overlooked or disregarded or to examine side by side and compare. Hey, you got more on your plate than I got. My sister Anne came up with a saying. We grew up in a big family, 10 boys and three girls, a big long table, and my mom would make two sets of dishes of food, one for each end of the table. And if you sat in the middle, you had to pass stuff around. You didn't get a whole lot of time to eat. But if anybody complained, my sister Anne come up with this saying, you get what you get and you don't have a fit. <laughs> and so we had to learn to be satisfied with what we got. My mom, <laughs> they had a rule, you know, for dessert you could have uh, two cookies, two for first, two for seconds, ask for thirds. Because with that many people at the table, you have to do the math. Okay, everybody can have two cookies. or Everybody can have three meatballs, you know. <laughs> when I first got married, I told my wife, <laughs> she made spaghetti and meatballs. And I said, count the meatballs. And everybody gets so many. And she looked at me like I was crazy. What are you talking about? Divide them up. <laughs> you get what you get and you don't have a fit. So they had a complaint. And this is the Greek word, which is really a funny word, gongusmos, <laughs> which means a murmuring. And it's directed at the Hebrews uh, against, uh, from the Greeks. And so um, they uh, might have had a little bit of a jealousy, you know, the the Hebrews were, were, were natives of Jerusalem, you know, and you people are just, you, you just came here and, you know, you don't know everything, so we do, and yada, 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 as they say. But this is actually a legitimate complaint. In chapter 5, we know that there was a money problem. How many know that you'll never find a perfect church? The joker in the... In the the ecclesiastical joke is, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it when you go. Because <laughs> nobody, nothing's perfect on the earth. Amen? You'll never find a perfect church. 
especially a big church. Big church means big problems, lots of problems. I know a pastor down on the south side, he's got a big church, and he was good friends with my first pastor. And this pastor on the south side, he said, I preach hard against sin. And you would believe how much sin's in the church. Well, the solution is to preach about Jesus and his successful sacrifice to set people free from sin. That's the solution. Anyway, I digress. So, there was the perfect church. And so, this is legitimate need. They're being neglected in the daily distribution. And this just doesn't mean food. It could mean money, it could mean clothes, whatever needs were uh, presented to the uh, distributors. <clears throat> James chapter 1 verse 27 says these words, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. <clears throat> Poor people sometimes uh, they clamor for more. Say, hey, it's not fair, they got more than me. Well, maybe they worked harder for what they got. You never know. <clears throat> but you have to differentiate between wants and needs. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 22. God's pretty serious about how we treat widows. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Notice it doesn't say an orphan. It says a fatherless child. That's because fathers are important very important. We can look at society today and you'll see that households without fathers have big problems. But in verse 23, it goes on in Exodus chapter 22, God says, if you afflict them in any way and they cry out at all to me, then God says, I will surely hear their cry. And verse 24, God continues, says, and my wrath will become hot. How many know God is allowed to express his wrath? Thank God that Jesus took the wrath that we deserve for our sins. But this is under the old covenant. God says, my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. So I'd say God's pretty serious about taking care of widows. Notice in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17, Jesus is walking uh, and he comes to the city of Nain, it says, which means the city of Nain was on a plain so you could see far. And there's a funeral procession coming out of the city. And Jesus perceives that he understands this is a widow and this is her only son and this is her only means of support, basically. And Jesus stops the funeral procession and walks over and touches the dead body and says to the young man, arise. And the young man sits up, the Bible says, and begins to speak and Jesus presents him to his mother her only son. And the result, the people cry out, a great prophet has arisen among us. I mean, that would be a really awesome thing to see. <laughs> Go to a funeral and Jesus raises somebody from the dead. Not only that, it says, great fear came upon all. And God has visited his people, they said. I would like to have God visit. 
I'd like to have God stay permanently, amen? Not just visit. They were being neglected. So, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. The whole church comes together. Like what? Like It says there's like 5,000 men plus. <clears throat> okay, let's have a big meeting. And they said, it is not right or fitting that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Okay, let's stop right there for a minute. <clears throat> this was the primary duty of the 12 apostles, to preach the word of God. That was their duty. In the King James Version in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One translation says, be diligent. Another one says, do your best. I have uh, a few <clears throat> commentaries at home and dictionaries and stuff, and uh, I need to get more <laughs> because uh, I, have, I have three or two copies of a three-volume dictionary of New Testament, just New Testament words. And there's like 15 pages in the front of uh, abbreviations of ancient manuscripts that support the New Testament alone. It's like, man, all of this, the evidence, people that say, you know, the Bible's just made up, it's a fairy tale. They are ignorant and willfully ignorant, I would say, uh, of all of the scholarship that's gone into giving us the Bible as we have it today. One... Um, English uh, professor or British professor, I uh, don't remember his name, he said that of all of the study that has gone into giving us the Bible that we have today is the most accurate that you can have. If anyone that doesn't believe that has not read the Bible for themselves or they haven't prayed and asked God to show them the truth. So the apostles they rightly claim that's what we're supposed to be doing is preaching the word of God in spite of opposition. In chapter 6 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has been called by God to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And he's busy doing what God called him to do. And the enemies come and they say, hey, um, we need to have a meeting. Come meet us over here at this other place. And he says, he sends a message back, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down to meet with you guys. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? In other words, he says, now nah, you guys take care. I'm doing something for God. We're supposed to be diligent in doing something for God, whatever God has called us to do. So the wall was completed in 52 days. And listen to what the result was in verse 16 of Nehemiah, chapter 6. When our enemies heard that we completed the wall and put the gates up, they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. And when you're doing something for God, try not to get distracted. Amen? It is not right, it's not reasonable or desirable for us to stop preaching and studying. So, 
They said, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. Now, I don't know why they said seven men. Some people think that seven is this magical, godly number because it's the perfect number, whatever. I don't know. I don't think so. Anyway, that's just my opinion. But they say, get seven men of good repute, a good reputation, three qualities they had. They were of good reputation, they were full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 17 says this about wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism and without hypocrisy. These men <clears throat> that they were supposed to pick out, they were to have an honest report, the King James says. They were to be free from scandal. They should have integrity and attested character. They were to be full of the spirit. They were supposed to be spiritually gifted. In some way, people would be able to notice this. And full of wisdom, discretion. They were supposed to have an aptitude for practical business. In other words, these guys were already doing what they were asked to do here. Matthew Henry says that these guys, looking about among yourselves, will have these qualities, somebody that everyone can agree on. Now that in itself is a miracle. With 5,000 men in a church, in a building, that they all can agree on only seven men. And they all can agree that this is a good idea. No, no, no. No, there's no backbiting. There was no, no, no rumors and, and no gossip or nothing. It was all, they said, that's a good idea. The whole lot of them said that. Now that is a miracle. Amen? And it says, these men, we will appoint to this duty. Now this word appoint is interesting. It means to set a person in a place of authority, according to Vine's dictionary. It is not a formal ecclesiastical ordination, but the appointment for the recognition of the church of those who had already been raised up and qualified by the Holy Spirit and have given evidence of this in their life and service. So these guys that they elect were already doing it. And then... The apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Notice the order. First, they devote themselves to prayer and then to the ministry of the word. To me, <clears throat> that is interesting because this is the purpose of those apostles at that time, devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament in those days. They had the Old Testament. And so they studied that. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament, Jesus is in every single book of the Old Testament. Every single one. There's something in there about Jesus. They stuck to their purpose. They were willful they were dedicated, and they gave their focus and their attention to these two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. 
Matthew Henry says, our preaching can do nothing without God's grace. We need God's grace. And that's, I just remembered, I forgot to open in prayer. (laughs) So let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us this morning. Open our ears, God, to learn and and to understand and to apprehend what you want us to have put placed deep within our spirits this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. The NIV. Let's see. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20 in the New International Version says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Oh, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We're supposed to pray for one another. Amen? So, I highly recommend... Hey, you do one of these, write people's names down. So when you pray, you can remember their names, and you can lift them up in prayer before God. And then in verse 19, Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, or utterance may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery, and not the when they use the word mystery, it doesn't mean this spooky, scary thing. It means something hidden from plain view that has to be revealed. The mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Imagine that, getting arrested for preaching the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Hallelujah. Prayer is important. Let's go on. And in verse 5 and 6, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Everybody said, that's a great idea. Oh, my goodness. That is just too much. That the whole congregation said, that's a good idea. Hallelujah. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, in their commentary, he says, Notice that all of these names, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these are all Greek names. None, none of the seven were Hebrews. None of the seven were native Jewish guys. And Matthew Henry says, What this did is, it restored their confidence. Restored their confidence, effectually restored mutual confidence because the the Hebrews, they said, okay to this too. The Jews and the Hellenists, the Greeks and the Hebrews, they, they agreed. That's a miracle. Amen. They said, okay, we agree. So they prayed to him through whom all gifts flow. They set, these they set before the apostles, and then they prayed for them and laid their hands on them to put them in their position. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary says this symbolizes the communication of these gifts through the recognized chain of command. In other words, these seven guys and the rest of the congregation just didn't up and say, you know what, we don't care what the apostles say, we're going to do it our way. No, they went through the chain of command. That's why we have pastors. Amen? 
Because if you get an idea to do something for God, just don't go off and do it yourself. Get some counseling. Find out, hey, pastor, can I do this? What do you think about this? That's what pastors are for. Amen? Hallelujah. The outcome, the result of this is awesome. And I love this. All through the book of Acts, you see this word, and. And this happened. And they did this. And then this happened. And, and, and. All over the whole book of Acts. Because it's the church in action. And the word of God continued to increase. That's a good thing. The word of God continued to increase. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Not only that, it can, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied, not just added, but multiplied. Multiplication's a wonderful thing. It just builds bigger and bigger and faster and faster. But the word of God continued to increase because the disciples or the apostles were able to disentangle themselves, so to speak, from the administration and were able to focus completely on what they were called to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So first, the word of God continued to increase and spread. And the message of God in the Amplified Bible says, The message of God kept on spreading. Secondly, the number of disciples multiplied greatly Greatly in Jerusalem. This is where most of Jesus' opposition took place. In Jerusalem. This is where Jesus was crucified. This is where the mob cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And now, in Jerusalem, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And then it goes on to say a very interesting thing. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. To me, this is unusual because what did the priests do? They sacrificed the animals for the people. But Jesus sacrificed himself, so they guys were out of a job. They didn't have to sacrifice animals anymore. And I don't know how well the, uh, um, the uh, theology had been formulated by then. It doesn't say... Later on, we read about in Paul's letters how he understands, and in the letters to the Hebrews, how we understand that no animal sacrifice is needed anymore. So these guys were out of a job. And not only that, they joined the church. Remember in John chapter 12, verse 42, it says, even among the rulers, many believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So now they don't care. We're going to this church. Now we're going to this synagogue. But remember earlier in Acts chapter 5, it says, none of the rest 
dared to join them. They, they, they held them in awe and respect, but now it says they joined. Praise God. So, in conclusion to this section, first of all, problems and misunderstandings will arise. Secondly, notice how quickly they can be healed. Thirdly, notice that there's no lust for power in the leadership. They say, the, the apostles don't say, we're in charge here. You, if you got to come and see us and we'll straighten everything out. We're the big bosses. No, they had no lust for power. Their focus was doing the will of God, which was preaching. Not only that, the office of the deacons, though it doesn't specifically say it here, this is where it was established. Hallelujah. And here's the, the kicker, so to speak. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 27. Jesus is explaining to his uh, disciples, he says, whoever desires to become great. This is after James and John's mom come up and ask Jesus, hey, um, Jesus, can my boys uh, sit at your right hand and your left? And uh, the other uh, uh, apostles, uh, they, they got upset. So there was some murmuring among the apostles way back then, and Jesus said, you know, here's the solution. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. That's how you become great in the kingdom of God, as you serve others. Amen? Praise God. So, let's go on. Acts chapter 8, or chapter 6, verse 8 through 10. Attacks from within the church did not achieve the goals of the kingdom of darkness. You notice there was murmuring in the beginning of this chapter. Before that, there was Ananias and Sapphira with their shenanigans. So the kingdom of darkness is active. So they couldn't, the kingdom of darkness couldn't make any headway from inside the church. So they decide, well, let's try assaulting from outside the church. And here's what happens. Stephen, it says, is full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was not hiding away you know, doing a little bit of stuff here. He was out in front publicly doing great, verifiable signs and wonders among the people. This gives proof to his ministry. This gives proof to his anointing, proof that Jesus is real, that God is among us. Amen. Notice also that signs and wonders are not just something that the 12 apostles did. This tells me that you and I can do stuff for God, that you and I can expect signs and wonders. Amen? Amen. Jesus said they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Have anybody ever done that? I have seen it happen. Praise God, it's awesome. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works of the deeds that I do, he will do also, and she. And greater works than these will he or she do, because I go to the Father. 
In Dake's commentary, he's got a note. See page uh, 758 for 21 reasons why we can do greater works than Jesus did while he was on the earth. I didn't have time to look them up. But there's a note. It says these works or these deeds that Jesus did were not only physical healings, they were spiritual also. Amen? And you and I can do those. So look what happened. Then, some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. So they had their own synagogue. Who are these freedmen? According to uh, the commentators, uh, Matthew Henry, he says these guys were most likely former Roman slaves who were expelled from Rome under one of the emperors, and they were given their freedom. Paul the Apostle may have been included in this group because some of them were from Cilicia, which is an area where Paul the Apostle was from. So, these, <coughs> interesting note, Matthew Henry writes this, these Hellenists, these were Jew or Greek Jewish guys from Greek areas, Alexandria, the city in uh, northern uh, Egypt, I believe it's in Libya, or Egypt. Um, it was a, uh, a Greek school of philosophy. Unfortunately, the great library there got burned down, so we lost a bunch of stuff, probably how they built the pyramids and everything. But anyway, there's a, these are Greek people, Greek Jews. They were unable to practice Judaism where they used to live, so now they're in Jerusalem, and these people are sticklers for, oh, everything's got to be correct. You got this one letter wrong here. These guys were sticklers. They were very strict. So they rose up and disputed with Stephen. They got in an argument with Stephen. You're not Allah. Why Stephen? <laughs> Probably because they were afraid to dispute the apostles. Or maybe they despised the apostles as unlearned men. Yes. Or because maybe Stephen was prominent in the public eye. Notice what it says in verse 10. But <laughs> they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit. Notice they're arguing with the Holy Spirit. These guys are arguing with God. Anybody ever argue with God? You can't win. Amen. <laughs> with which he, Stephen was speaking. So what do they do? These nasty guys, they secretly instigated men. Now look this up. This word instigated means that they paid these people to say stuff about Stephen because if you brought a false accusation, you could lose your life in, in the court there. If it turns out you're lying, man, it's bad news. So they pay these guys. This is what you got to say. You got to, they stirred up the people. They said, we have heard them speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Oh, my goodness, blasphemy. As my brother Stephen would say. <laughs> oh, no, it was Paul. Anyway. Blasphemy. Oh, horrors. Someone spoke blasphemy. What is blasphemy? 
I'll tell you what the biblical, and, um, <clears throat> and this is a crime in some countries to speak blasphemous words. Thank God we have freedom of speech in the United States. You can speak blasphemous words. It means to slander or accuse or speak against or to speak derogatory words for the purpose of injuring or harming someone's reputation, according to Rick Renner. It also could be profane, foul, unclean language. Can you imagine? In effect, they're accusing Stephen saying, he, he said a curse word. Oh, my goodness. They could have just said, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it does. <laughs> they're, they're, these guys, but these guys are evil and vicious because what they really want to do is they're going to kill him. They're accusing him of a crime that carries the death penalty. Speaking against Moses. <gasps> Oh, my goodness. Do you know how to say Moses in Jew, in, in uh, the Jewish language? It's Moish. Hey, Moish. It's <laughs> <laughs> speaking against Moish. You know how to say Solomon in Jewish language? Shlomo. Hey, Shlomo. Come here. I got something for you. Speaking against Moses, oh, horrors. Why, why would this be such a horrible thing? Because Moses gave them traditions, and we have traditions. They've got to be followed to the letter. It's like, well, you guys, quit it. Relax, calm down. God's not that vicious. God's not that demanding. God's gracious, amen? God is gracious, and they stirred up the people, blasphemous words against Moses, because he's, <clears throat> the truth is, Jesus is greater than Moses. Remember what Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees. <laughs> he says, you know what? <clears throat> A greater than Solomon. People came from all over the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And speaking of himself, Jesus says, and a greater than Solomon is here. It's the same with Moses. Moses was a servant, but he wasn't the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. So this is Stephen's doing his thing and serving God, and these guys conspire in secret. Psst, come here. Here, here's 20 bucks. I want you to say this about Stephen. And they stir up the people and the elders and the scribes. Well, these scribes, oh, they knew everything. They, they, they've, been they've been writing the word of God, so they know what it says. So they stir him up, and they come upon Stephen and seize him like a lion grabbing its prey. Anybody ever see uh, videos of lions chasing after stuff? <sighs> I would not want a lion chasing after me. David Livingstone, the great missionary, by the way, uh, to Africa, was attacked by a lion. He was able to shoot the lion and kill it before it killed him. And for the rest of his life, his one arm didn't work so well. 
But he survived the lion attack. And so these people, they come upon Stephen, and they seize him like a lion. And they bring him before the council, and they set up false witnesses. That is horrible. Imagine it being in a court, and these people come in and lie. False witnesses. That's not right. And, he, and, he, and here's the accusation. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. Even though, you know, the, 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 the Sanhedrin had already ordered all of the Christians, don't be talking about Jesus anymore. Don't say anything. Speaking words. He doesn't cease. How could he? The Spirit of God's in him. This holy place. I mean, you know, I don't believe that one place is holier than another. There's no, the only holy ground that I remember reading about in the Bible is uh, when Moses approached the burning bush and God spoke to him and says, take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground here. That's the only place where I read anything about that. I don't believe any, the building is not the church, it's the people that's the church. We're holy. My shoes are not holy. The floor's not holy. The sheetrock's not holy. This holy place. <gasps> he spoke blasphemous words against this holy place. Big deal. And they're going to kill him over it. And the law. Who the law. One of, uh, <clears throat> somebody <laughs> accused me of uh, uh, not being willing to eat um, shellfish because it's uh, in the law of Moses. Well, I'm not Jewish, so I do eat shellfish. If you don't like shellfish, good. There's more for me. I like shellfish. <laughs> We're not under the law. If you want to know what Gentile believers are supposed to do, it's in the book of Acts, and we'll get to that later on down the line. We're not called to follow Jewish dietary laws. But here, they're accusing Stephen, saying he never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. We heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, who they don't even believe has risen from the dead, whom, <laughs> even though it's been proven by miraculous signs and wonders, this Jesus of Nazareth, notice the despicable attitude they have, this Jesus of Nazareth, oh, he will destroy this place. Jesus, surely, remember Jesus said, you know what? See all these beautiful stones? Not one stone would be left upon another. And sure enough, it came to pass in A.D. 70 when the Romans under General Titus came in and destroyed the place. But now they're saying Stephen says that this Jesus of Nazareth, whom we don't believe in, will destroy this place and will change the customs, the traditions that Moses delivered to us. Yeah, because you don't need to kill animals anymore for your sins. They twisted G Stephen's words. I still find it so amazing that it says a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith in Jesus. They gave up that animal sacrifice. They understood Jesus paid the price for all. That Jesus... And, and if they had any brains or any, any you know, memories, uh, 
in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, better than the law of Moses. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, it specifically says, God says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. But no, they want to hold on to the traditions of men. Jesus warned against teaching the traditions of men as the oracles of God. And then this last verse, if they didn't get it here, they never would have gotten it. It says, and so, so, so all the accusers, you know, they're giving their accusations against Stephen. And everybody turns to look at Stephen and say, well, and it says, oh, look at him. And his face was like that of an angel. That should have scared the daylights out of them. They should have said, whoa, we ain't touching that. We're, oh, you can go. Please don't hurt us. You read about angels in the Bible. It scared the daylights out of people. I've heard stories of people who claim they have seen angels. And it's like, whoa, man, God, don't, don't hear me. And the whole Sanhedrin, they're hell-bent set on killing Stephen. And they totally disregard this. It says when Moses came down from the mountain after speaking with God and being in the presence of God, his face glowed. And the people said, whoa, please put, put a, a blanket over your face so we don't see you. And they don't do that here. That just blows my mind. But remember what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things, all things work together for the good of them that love God to those who are called according to His purposes. All things, tragedy, sorrow, suffering, pain, everything, disappointments, joy, rejoicing, happy moments, glad tidings, all of it, all of it works together for the good of them that love God. And so there's a purpose in what happens next. And we will see that next week.